Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am your host, flying solo this week, Mark Ellis, but I won't be alone for long because I'm about to be joined by sort of my twin. I don't actually have a twin, say, fraternal, somebody I was born with, but uh, there's only so many faces in the world, and me and our guest today both got blessed with the same face that would, of course, be Topher Grace, who is going to be joining us as we talk about Back to the Future. The entire trilogy is what we're covering today. We're going to go through the classic first one, how we feel about Back to the Future 2 and 3 as well. He's a huge Back to the Future fan, and he's got his new show, uh, Home Economics, which is now entering its next season. He's both the executive producer and one of the stars. So find him about that, all of his his great movie roles, that 70s show. I mean, he was in everything from Black Klansman to to Predators, to Spider-Man 3. I mean, the guy's done a lot of stuff. Win a date with Tad Hamilton. I mean, come on. Topher Grace is here, and I will probably get a chance to ask him uh, if he remembers our fateful meeting for the very first time at a certain restaurant in Hollywood. Um, but uh, very excited to be joined by him. Uh, Jacqueline Coley's still out on the road. I believe she's at TIFF right now, the Toronto International Film Festival. So while we look back on some great movies, she is seeing some new great movies. And uh, at the end of the show, if we have time, might very quickly bring in our esteemed engineer, Brian Perez, because he has some hot takes about Back to the Future I'd like his thoughts on. So if we have time, we'll get to that. Um, Back to the Future, you know him, you love him. Marty McFly is just a kid in 1985 when all of a sudden him and his scientist buddy Doc Brown accidentally sort of get transported back to 1955. Well, Marty does. Then he meets Doc in 1955, and then he has to get back to 1985. And then in the second one, he goes to 2015, take care of some issues there, gets back to 1955 after going back to an alternate 1985. Then we go back to 1885, and then we go all the way back to 1985. There's a lot of time jumping into this movie, courtesy of a semi-nuclear-powered DeLorean. And it's just one of those movies that I don't know if you ever can remake it. I don't know that you never should get Topher's uh, thoughts on that as well. So all of that and more coming up right now on the podcast, Back to the Future with Topher Grace. But first, we left room for our favorite segment here on the show. Tim Ryan, our review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes, is going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of Back to the Future one, two, and three's release. Now, I didn't run down the tomato meters yet. I'm going to let Tim do that. Uh, Tim, I'm hoping that the first one is very, very, very high on the tomato meter. Take it away. Two minutes with Tim. It's been more than 30 years since the final entry hit theaters, and there have never been any major attempts at reboots or remakes. So why does the Back to the Future trilogy still resonate so strongly? I think it's that it almost miraculously blends its many seemingly discordant elements into something so light, and at the same time, as Marty McFly would say, so heavy. It's a teen comedy and a sci-fi film, and it's got great characters and endlessly quotable dialogue and incredibly tense action set pieces and hilarious throwaway visual gags and a terrific score. 
It's also a poignant meditation on family and community through the generations. And in the case of part two, the best movie ever made based on the science of time travel, at least according to the legendary scientific polymath Carl Sagan. So let's take a quick look at the three entries. Back to the Future from 1985 is certified fresh at 97% on the tomato meter with 86 reviews, and it has a 94% audience score. Back to the Future Part 2 from 1989 is fresh at 63%, and it has an 85% audience score. Back to the Future Part 3 from 1990 is certified fresh at 80% with 46 reviews, and it has a 78% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review of the original, Joseph Gelmas of Newsday wrote, Back to the Future is the best comic strip movie I've seen this year. It's well-made, lighthearted, and is exactly the right length to give you excitement and laughs and a few surprises. And then it's over, leaving you feeling good. However, in a rotten review for Back to the Future Part 2, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader wrote, By the end, you may feel that you've just sat through a feature-length commercial for both Part 1 which has to be seen to make this sequel comprehensible, and part three, a trailer for it literally ends part two. So that's the Back to the Future trilogy. Let's kick it back to Mark. I'm going to make like a tree and get out of here. There is Tim Ryan, and without further ado, let's get into some movie talk. Back to the Future trilogy with Topher Grace. And now, as promised, welcoming to the show for the very first time, Mr. Topher Grace, the executive producer and star of Home Economics. You also know him from award-winning movies, blockbusters, sitcoms, anything and everything on stage, on screen, and his podcast, Minor Adventures with Topher Grace. Welcome, sir. I apologize if it feels like you're looking in a mirror. Well, that only means that you're a very good-looking man. This was the weirdest interaction that I had because it was also so pleasant. This was, uh, you will not remember this, about 10 years ago, I was with some friends at a Chipotle in Hollywood and you were right in front of me and I never <laughs> well, met I already you. just what you said means you probably bumped into me. Yeah, <laughs> we ordered the exact same burrito, Topher. I wasn't trying to copy you. We got you know, the exact... we looked at each other and did like a mirror exercise. I was nervous to shake your hand because you were very gracious. I said that, you know, hey, a lot of my fans say I look like you. It was a cool. We take a picture. You were very, very nice. And uh, I was concerned when we actually shook hands that it was going to be like time cop where the space time continuum just turns the matter inside of itself. Luckily, that's not the time travel reality. Well, it's funny. You get that, but I get Brad Pitt a lot. And it's like <laughs> it's been detrimental in my career because it's like, you know, I'm my own actor. Do you know what I mean? Like it's I, I'm only getting roles that he passed on. And you go, when do I get to become my own person? The hell that is our life. I think we would have looked great. On that roof, fixing that antenna in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So maybe the next time. Yeah, it was either him or me or you. It's like <laughs> interchangeable. Um, something that is not interchangeable, that is just a part of uh, really Americana and really beloved worldwide is the Back to the Future trilogy of movies. And I will say particularly the first one, and I don't want to be a naysayer towards the sequels. They're very fun movies, but... We're here to talk about the entire trilogy. So I'm just going to run down the tomato meter score with you. And I just want to get your take as to whether Rotten Tomatoes is wrong with any of these. So Back to the Future from 1985, the classic, 97% certified fresh, 94% audience score. I'll tell, I'll tell you, that is off by about 3%. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any, and that's always, you know, like I remember going back and reading the Time magazine review of Star Wars which was like terrible. And then they had to retract it and literally print an article saying we were wrong. <laughs> like just the reviewer was having an off day or, or didn't get it or something. But I think there's no one that's, that's from 1985. Those reviews you're talking about, right? That's from 1985 until now, because I mean, you can really look at it like, okay, this is a lot of movie reviewers at the time, but then a lot of newer movie reviewers that are on the tomato meter, go back and look at these movies. I have a feeling that anything that is not 100% or, or nothing that is from 1985, right? Yeah, that's, that's got to be a 1985. Some I don't want to say crotchety. I don't want to demographic, you know, say who it was, but it just felt like maybe it like the movie says itself. If you don't like it, your kids are going to love it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's 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 right. I uh, yeah, I think I can understand how someone older at the time might have thought that it, I mean, because it was really made for, uh, for kids I mean, for teens. Yeah. I mean, uh, but I remember seeing it, my experience with that film is seeing it. One of the first movies I remember seeing with my parents, like everyone seemed excited to see it and my sister. Right. So that was a wide 
swath of people of different ages. And I remember us all enjoying like going, oh man, well, this is crazy that I'm, uh, you know, eight or nine or something. And my dad is 40 something and we're both enjoying it. Like that's very rare. I mean, truly enjoying something. That's fascinating. So you actually did get to see the movie in in a theater when it came out. And you like remember that experience? Yeah, I was just old enough that I remember they I was like uh, with a babysitter and my dad came home and was talking to the babysitter. Like everyone says this movie it was the first like blockbuster I was aware of people were talking about. And then when I saw it, I mean, look, I, this is not a unique situation. <laughs> anyone listening who's my age probably had this experience. But immediately I had to buy a skateboard. It was like that scene with the skateboard at the beginning was, and immediately we had to buy like an LP of that, uh, of that Huey Lewis song. I was the same way, uh, albeit I guess I was a little younger because I didn't see the first movie in the theater. I think this was the rare movie where my parents broke down and they're like, look, everybody's talking about this. We're going to get a babysitter for the three kids and we're going to go see if it's okay. And they came back and they told us about it. And so then the next year when it was like available to tape on VHS, it was that and Teen Wolf were like constantly played at my house. Yeah, Michael so, J. Fox had a big year in 1985. Big year. Those, those were my sports. I, I, like, I was like, okay, well, I need to learn how to skateboard and I need to learn how to play basketball. And if I get to turn into a werewolf on top of And you need to it, learn how to do flips on top of your van. <laughs> We did do we don't don't try it at home, kids. Is all I'm gonna say. What you see in oh, yeah, I have a, I have a friend who says about movies, um, who's in the business out here, he says all movies are allowed one thing. So like a kid becoming a wolf, <laughs> you you go, okay, that's the premise. But when he starts breakdancing, you're like, this is unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the Indiana Jones fridge bomb. It's like, I'll let that happen, but the rest of the movie better be realistic. Oh, yeah. You know, you're right. I was like a judge when I saw you're talking about the crystal skull. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, yeah. When when I saw that opening, I was like a judge who's like, I'll allow it, but <laughs> I want to see where this is going. <laughs> you better be going somewhere with this counselor. Yeah, you better be going somewhere <laughs> with this uh, attorney, whatever. Yeah, it was uh, it was just a transcendental movie, and then you had the two follow-ups that were pioneering movie technology as far as visual effects and also how to make movies being shot back-to-back. That was Back to the Future 2 from 89, which is 63% fresh on the tomato meter. And then Back to the Future 3 gets back up to 80% certified fresh. The interesting thing about those two movies is that Back to the Future 2 actually has the higher audience score, which is 85%. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if you ask most people, they'd say the films go in order of uh, how good they are. Is that how you feel about it? Because I go go one, and then I go three, and then I go two. I actually don't disagree with you but I think the the most people I've talked to don't like three. I kind of thought three was charming and two is like uh, a little challenging. Um, but uh, it, look, the first movie alone is probably the most perfect film ever made. It's just so like there's not one line that doesn't connect to another line, except when he's pouring. I mean, I'm going to geek out real hard. At Please do. Here. When he pours those chips, you know, he pours that peanut brittle. Yeah, that's the only I remember back even when I saw it the first time being like, why did they do like a hard cut to him pouring peanut brittle? Did you want to talk about so George McFly <laughs> it's at, at dinner? Yeah, is it dinner? And out of nowhere, there's a hard cut. and He's just like going to town on this peanut brittle. And it's because there's a, a scene they were right to cut after Biff leaves where uh, someone shows up selling the equivalent of like Girl Scout cookies, but it's peanut brittle. And she just she's like, <laughs> do you want peanut brittle? And the dad just says to the Girl Scout, like. Yeah, just sign him up for like 20 boxes, right? George, like there, it just shows how much he's like being pushed around. And that's to me the only thing that's imperfect about the movie is that they cut out. I never understood why he was going to town on that peanut brittle. But I always thought as a kid, I always thought it was just like this weird cereal that adults eat. And then you come to realize, <laughs> no, that, that's peanut brittle that George McFly is eating. But it's also that, that scene itself is such a great intro into the family dynamic, just how boring they are. And no, how- as a kid, though, you, you're, you're accepting films, especially at that age when we probably saw it. You're accepting films on a dreamlike level. So you're not asking questions but i grew up i thought this script i mean there's literally not one line that Mm -mm. doesn't connect to a thing that pays off except for that peanut brittle thing which was probably (laughs) the right cut to make i i heard a um a dvd commentary thing with uh zemeckis talking about testing this film which is just the greatest story ever which is like if everyone who went to see this film our parents included had watched all the ads and understood the conceit of the movie 
But when you test a movie, uh, they don't tell you the conceit. I mean, I've been to film tests, you know, as both an actor and beforehand when I was in college, I, I went to the Truman Show, weirdly. And I had no idea what the Truman Show, I knew it was a film starring Jim Carrey. And then you start watching it and it kind of explains itself at the beginning, like, oh, Truman is in a community and he's being filmed. But Back to the Future, if you haven't seen an ad for it, is a very weird first 20 minutes. It's a strange movie, particularly if you only really know, if your entry point, if you're in that test audience, you probably knew Michael J. Fox from Family Ties and you enjoyed yeah. him as Alex B. Keaton. But seeing this time travel movie, it's like, what the hell is this movie? The well, you don't even know it's about time travel. First, it's this no. kid is like playing guitar. Then he's in <laughs> school. Then his family is doing like an info dump of like how they met, which you don't really care about. Then a mad scientist has a time machine. I mean, it's like, what they said about, I mean, I think it's one of the highest rated test film, tested films of all time. Like, it's just such a crowd pleaser. But apparently, like there were a couple walkouts at the beginning because <laughs> no one understood where it was going or what the, it was just, it's so meandering at the beginning. And apparently when they're both putting their hand on the back of their head, him and his dad, and they look, you know, the guy says McFly and they look up together, the whole audience in unison went, oh, like they, they understood the thing that the ads would tell you. You know what I mean? That's Which was that what, what the whole thing was. And then it became like everyone stayed. But the fact that a couple people walked out, I'm like, yeah, I get it. You're kind of like, what is this film about? If you don't know the the other great story is he his editor, Artie Schmidt, who's just one of the great editors. He was going to Zemeckis was going to cut out the Johnny B. Good scene. Travesty. Which, and they said the editor, which is a great editor, just said, why don't we just leave it in for the first test screening? <laughs> See what it looks like in front of an audience. <laughs> because he had to know what they had there. Because I was going to ask you, what what is your favorite scene in Back to the Future? I mean, you take this perfect movie and you just condense it into this is the scene that really lights it up for me. For me, it is the, it's the Johnny B. Good scene that's still... I had the pleasure of, of doing a Q&A and like introducing the movie a few years ago. And then it, it like, you know, sometimes you'll do a job and then you're like, all right, what's who, the rest of my night? Who are you doing night? a Q&A with? Um, it was, it was a, it was a Q and a at a, at a, uh, at a company I used to work for called Collider. And so we didn't have any of the, it, it was, we didn't have any of the cast and crew. We just had it like, like, me. like, it was like doing a, uh, an interview with me about a movie that it I was literally in. nobody affiliated with the film whatsoever. And here's how great back to the future is. It was still a packed house. Right. They knew that they weren't <laughs> getting, they, they knew that I was the most famous person there, but they still were like, no, we want to go see back to the future. Yeah, the and big screen, yeah. And then when the when the Johnny B. Good scene happens, which I guess, you know, usually on the show, I want to give you some context. If you haven't seen Back to the Future, I highly recommend it. Yeah, just stop uh, listening immediately and go watch that movie with your time. Right? If you like Peanut Brittle, this is the movie for you. That's how we'll sell it if you haven't seen also, it. Also, you, you probably don't listen to the rest of the podcast if you've never <laughs> seen it. But uh, I, just goosebumps. I, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I mean, just an example of it. growing up. The more you watch it, the more you learn about uh uh, structure and what should pay off. But what's so interesting about the Johnny B. Good scene is Zemeckis was right. Like it actually has nothing to do with the plot and you don't need it. And I try to remember that um, even it's so funny. We're editing <laughs> an episode of home economics and the best moments of anything. I mean, this is only a 22 minute long thing, but the best moments of anything are when it kind of leaves the ground for a second and you do something that, that doesn't necessarily have a payoff like the thing in itself is a payoff or it's just kind of like uh, encapsulating the feeling of the, we've gotten better at that as we've gone along where we go, like our premiere episode, we go to Disneyland just beforehand. I uh, It's not in the script, but like how much can we film? There's a moment where my brother and I go off and <laughs> ride the rides and it's, it can't really be scripted. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like they go on rides and have fun. There were a couple of jokes that we scripted in like a montage, but I thought how much footage can we get? of that, you know what I mean? That feeling that you're at when you're at Disneyland and, and, and uh, not to compare it at all to back to the future or, or the Johnny B. Good scene, but the best stuff is when the music kicks in. I mean, every movie that, that you love probably has a moment that could be cut out, but is actually the best moment. And just, you can't describe why, I mean, there's not even any dialogue, you know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be as drastic as like, just like a random uh, cutaway on family guy where it's like, this literally is just, this was set up and then we're just going to act this thing out and then come back to whatever the, the plot of that episode is. But with back to the future, I'm going to say, I'm going to cry foul. I'm going to say that it does have something to do with the plot. And I'll, I'll, I'll put my finger in Zemeckis's face and say that the beauty of that scene 
is that this is Marty real because I mean the movie is he, it's also about Marty's journey and whether he wants to be or whether he can pull off being a musician whether he believes in himself enough because the beginning of the movie he's auditioning to play at a da- at a school dance no, and I now love, he I gets love that. a I shot. Actually, I think Marty is such an interesting character and he's like so indicative of the 80s which is he's not even the star of the film. He's just a cool guy. Like they tacked on this thing. There's like one or two scenes where he gets rejected from like, you know, playing at a dance. But truly the protagonist of the film is George. It's like, he's got this, you know, he's got to overcome his obstacles and ask the girl out and beat up the guy. And like his son's just the coolest dude from 1985 who knows skateboard tricks and, I mean, I'm not besides kind of like playing that song. Marty has almost no growth during the film, <laughs> but I, but I, I mean, that's what's so cool about the eighties. that There were characters that were just cool. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Like if Marty's left to his own devices, a, he's never getting out of 1955 if he goes back there, but it really is doc Brown pushing him the whole time. Like you need to do this. You need to be here at this point. You need to do this. And then that's how you're going to get back to your time. Yeah. And then he's tr- trying to push the dad to grow. And at the end, the dad's had this huge, growth. And I would say if the tomato meter is correct, the second and third ones really kind of suffer from not having the the protagonist from the first one in it. And can I just add, I'm dying to put this in a film. I want to, I'm not going to do any action films. So I don't know how this would work, but I want to do a scene where I'm like jumping out of a plane or something. And right beforehand, instead of saying like, you know, see on the ground or, you know, whatever the cool line is, I want to say, all right, listen, it's a blues riff and B. Watch me for changes and try to keep up and then jump out of the plane. <laughs> I was going to say, was that not like a cut scene from Predators where like like you, you wake up or you're, you know, you're they didn't, about to they do- didn't want any uh, any Back to the Future references in, uh, in Predators, mm. I guess. That's a bummer because Predators just on a, on a different note, I will say as good as any other Predator movie in the franchise, fresh on the tomato meter. I, I know. Praise, praise, pretty great. I'm a praise, pretty sweet and Trachtenberg friend. And he is uh he just crushed it with that film. I loved it. I had to turn it off here at home the second time because the dog was here and the dog was watching it. And the dog, and I, I shit you not, the dog got up on onto like the wall where the TV's mounted. And every the, this is how good the movie is. It makes you feel like you're in the forest. Every sound effect, every sound of nature started barking. And so I had to turn the movie off. It was too real for the dog. Did you watch that whole film being like, oh man, is this dog going to, you know, <laughs> this dog better stay alive? Yeah, really, really. Um, getting back to Back to the Future, what's the what's another scene that's not that's not the Johnny B. Good scene where again the hair stands up on my arms when it when it comes on. I love it so very much. Um, the other one for me would be the first time we go back in time. We're at Twin Pines Mall and it's an adventure scene and it's just Marty and when he shifts and and he escapes the van and he says, "Let's see if you bastards can do 90. It just that to me. We're watching a gear shift happen in the movie. That's also when the movie itself takes mm. this metaphorical gear shift that just gets us to the next level in terms of excitement, in terms of, wow, what a ride we're on. The other thing I've heard when Zemeckis talks about it is there are very few visual effects in the first one. The second one mm-hmm. takes more advantage of, you know, Robert Zemeckis's amazing uh, ability to work with, 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 I think it's the first one he worked with computer effects, which has become like his thing, right? Yeah. But like that first one, it's really the story that's the effect or it's the changing of sets and you know you're looking at the same town square but it looks different there's really like two special effects shots or, or maybe three i guess there's the hand you know when he's playing mm-hmm. uh guitar and there's the the car twice to me it's like the tension in that film you know i mean i love that the scene you're talking about obviously is unbelievable but the last scene when he's i mean i remember seeing the it's like my, maybe my 15th time seeing the film and your heart is in your throat. Like, is the thing going to connect with the lightning and the <laughs> plug? And the, I mean, it's like each time that he has a solution, then then there's another bigger problem. And then when it all works, it's like, I think the the original beginning of the end of the film was he had to fly into a nuclear bomb that was going off in the desert. Really? That was like, and I think it's because of budgetary stuff that they had to like scrap it. But I think it forced them to do something that was more, probably less effects driven, but more actually tension driven, which is put it in that square at universal. And it's just like a, Oh my God, that's just such a perfect scene. And that, Oh my God, I just, I can't talk about it without just geeking out. I just love it so much. No, I mean, 
it's also like the performance. If you look at it from an actor's point of view, mm-hmm. like it's bananas. Everyone's doing like kabuki theater. It's way. <laughs> I mean, like if I walked, I get like why Eric Stoltz was fired. He's probably doing a pretty normal, good job. But I'm like sure. everyone's like it, at the very least, everyone's doing sitcom acting. You know, it's like the guy from Taxi, the guy from Family Ties. <laughs> I mean, it's like what, what George is doing. I mean, it's like it's so the the genius of it is the conductor has them all doing it at the same level. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's uh, over the top at the exact same level. It's probably why Eric Schultz uh, didn't work out. But like I, when I look at it, I go, I think I learned more about timing for that 70s show or, or for any sitcom from watching that movie. Cause they literally pause for, for like audience laughs. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah, like you yeah. would never in real life say, listen, dad, dad, daddy. Oh, like if you're trying to like hide the fact that you're saying dad, you wouldn't like say it out loud, but everything's like, uh, it's all at the same level. It's brilliant. That's why we got to show it that you, George McFly are a fighter. You're somebody who's going to stand up for yourself. Somebody who's going to protect her. Yeah, but I've never picked a fight in my entire life. Look, you're not going to be picking a fight, dad, 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 daddy. Oh, you're coming to a rescue, right? The line that I quote myself, that I quote back to myself the most, just like when I'm talking to nobody else in, in particular, I just love saying the line, Jesus, George, it's a wonder I was even born. Just the yeah, fact Why that, would you say that out loud? To like, your dad, you're about to give it away, man. And then the dad's like, what? He's like, nothing. You know what's great if you want a real treat is type in YouTube, Crispin Glover Family Ties, because two years before he was on Family Ties. What? And- and here's the thing about Crispin Glover, because you've heard so much, there's so much drama about him on the film mm-hmm. and why they didn't want to have him in the sequels and stuff. But he's hilarious in Back to the Future. I mean, he's amazing. And he, if you watch him on Family Ties, he's like stealing the scenes from Michael J. Fox. He's great. I mean, he's great. I, you know, it's like this episode without a strip club or something, but like he's just crushing lines and he's he's coming from Neptune. Like you, like <laughs> you would never make the choices he makes. And it's so funny. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. It's it's a credit to his ability as an actor, and I guess his range as an actor, because, you know, you talk about watching this movie as a kid and certain things you don't notice, particularly about a performance, is how, you know, how versatile he is going from the guy that we meet in 1985 to being a 30-year younger version of that same guy and pulling it off and then coming back to 1985 and being the polar opposite of who he originally was. That's right, yeah. I love how cool he is. It is It's all believable, too. And Leah Thompson's, I mean, like, amazing. Like, they don't get focused on enough how great they are in that movie. And the villain. The the villain presence of Biff Tannen. Oh, yeah, man. He's got to be, like, top five villains of all time, right? He is. I mean, because you talk about this movie and and you look at how Biff wants to be with the rain and and how problematic that might have been in retrospect with any other movie. But this is one of those where it doesn't really it just never really enters my headspace in the same way that the time travel mechanism itself. I don't none of this matters that it's realistic or not, because you're having such a good time from start to finish with this movie that it doesn't matter if it checks all the scientific boxes. And with Biff. You're, Biff is so funny and he's in 1985 he's the bully and it's another one of my favorite lines is Jesus I paid to have your car towed all the way to your house you know you got for me <laughs> no that's like I didn't get that when I was a kid and as an right. adult when you watch it you go what a brilliant line he's like he's having such a blast with that role it's like 
I have it sometimes on home economics when we're here. You know, I got to be a producer on it, uh, which is my first time producing a TV show. So, and, and the only reason I really wanted to do that was to have a say in the cast. Cause you yeah. know, unlike a movie, you know, th- this goes on and on and on. We're entering our third year of doing it. And I've been on a TV show like that before. And I've been with a real kind of dream team. And I thought, I just want to be part of um, helping choose those people. Cause you, you wind up spending a big chunk of your life with them. I mean, you need them to be good as actors, but I really wanted to be people that I was all like, like crazy fan, a fan of. And I, I, I mean, I would say the same thing's true about all great ensembles. Like everyone's crushing it. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at the poster here. We're all like, <laughs> I just, I feel the same way when I'm watching movies. I love, you just want to, sometimes I miss my lines on home economics. Cause I'm sitting here going like, you're a you fan know, like watching their performance and saying like, yes, Oh, that's going to cut together. So great. <laughs> Line. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I forget. It's me. I'm just kind of, okay. There's been a long pause. It's probably my turn now. You know, you, you make such an interesting point about the back to the future films. I, and, and, and I would say this for the whole trilogy is that Marty McFly is the cool one, but it's even though the two and three become more about his story, he it's so crucial to have that surrounding cast you're talking about, particularly Christopher Lloyd as Doc and Thomas F. Wilson as Biff back in the old days in 2015. I mean, Back to the Future 2 comes out and Topher, I still look at that movie as like the gold standard for what the future could have been because every movie we see now with the future, it's dark, it's depressing, there's no water left. Back to the Future 2 was and it was it came out in 89 or 9 and I saw that in the theater. That was one of my first theater experiences. Wow. And 2015 was still far enough away to be like right. this could actually happen. This is exciting. I look at it now and I realize I think they're kind of trying to do the 50s in the future like they kind of color-wise they did something really great with the first one. I I heard that they all the paint on the buildings was actually colors from cars at the time. Wow. It wasn't actually the 50s. It was like um this is Rick Carter, I think, uh, who's like a great production designer, came up with that idea of like giving it this sheen that, I mean, at the time, it's so sad. At the time when I saw it, we were closer to 1955 than we are now to 1985. But like, I oh, mean, my parents hurts. had, they were watching the film going, oh, that's when I grew up. But it was this, um, you know, Mr. Sandman, like, <laughs> you know, like uh, idealized version of the 50s. And the colors were, you know, popped more and it was kind of, little cleaner. It was, I don't know, America's idea of what the fifties were. And then I think the future was kind of a version of that. Uh, I think I heard Bob Gale say once that it was like, like just do gags like they, cause you can't really say you can comment on the past, but they were just trying to kind of do, you know, fun gags like the, you know, instead of people coming out to wash your car, a robot comes out and wash it or just, you know, funny future gags but yeah, i the think jaws, jaws you know the, the the shark in 3d or the usa today yeah, the newspaper all that stuff. stuff like that the what was really appetizing to me who was on the side of chubby as a kid is the tiny little pizza hut that you put in the oven and then it just makes a huge i was like is that really the this is the future is going to be great yeah well it, it felt kind of like a soda pop fountain shop version of the of the future you know which no one does you're right yeah, it, it, and, and you know, you get the diner scene at the beginning, starring a very young Elijah Wood in there. You get the late great piano player from the Comedy Store, Jeff Scott, is in there. But the weirdest scene to me, and I think you'd probably agree, is just when we go to the McFly's home because we didn't have Crispin Glover back for this one. There was a dispute amongst the the contractor, the salary, and so we don't get him. And so it's just it, it's a little odd. I thought that Robert Zemeckis handled it brilliantly as far as making a movie and having to go around as crucial of a piece of the original Back to the Future as George McFly was, to be able to get around that as well as he did, I thought is just a testament to him as a filmmaker. And then we spend the rest of the movie going back to 1955 and just sort of looking at the original events through a funhouse mirror. And I love that knowing that we get Back to the Future 3. I think that Back to the Future 3 made that scene better because without Back to the Future 3, then Back to the Future 2, the whole thing just becomes sort of an exercise in redundancy, right? Yeah, when I saw Back to the Future 2, they had the, during the credits, a ad for Back to the Future 3. Right, I remember that. And I think that is important uh, because it's kind of, I guess, I mean, it was supposed to be one movie and they kind of split it into two. And when you watch it, you kind of go... I think it actually is just one like, you know what I mean? Like, and they both, 
Back to the Future 3 is missing, is probably in Back to the Future 2 and vice versa. And look, I loved, uh, it's so hard to make a sequel. It's so hard to keep a world alive. And they really did it. But I guess, yeah, I wish they'd, from, from everything you just said, I wish they worked out their salary thing with uh, with Crispin Glover, uh, just because I think he, you really, that's the story you're really actually kind of watching. That, and they had to figure something else out, I guess. I love that Old West stuff, though. I mean, the, the Old West is, and and it becomes more of Doc Brown's story than anybody else. You know, I mean, we want Marty to get back to his normal time period, but just seeing Doc in an actual relationship and like seeing Doc to be happy, it's it, it, it throws your mind for a loop, but it also adds another layer to the character where he's not just this mad scientist who has all these weird contraptions from time travel to dog food machines. He actually does have a heart, and I think that he earned getting to fall in love with someone to the level of a Mary Steen virgin because he, <laughs> he, he worked hard for this. He had to go to multiple time periods, but he finally did it. But here's the question. Does it make sense for a man of science like Doc to actually skew the future like that and fall in love with somebody from the old West? Well, she was going to die. She was dead. That's the only reason it's okay. <laughs> she was dead. No, she was, she, in, in the past, she went off the cliff and died. So she's like a free agent now. I guess so. I mean, I but you can't do it with someone who was going to live. No, no, because that would have, yeah, the, the whole space-time continuum thing, it makes me nervous, but again, it, it doesn't really factor into particularly the first Back to the Future because it's such a fun ride. And then the other two, I think more than anything for me, it just it, it's just getting to go back to that universe where even if it doesn't live up to the legacy of the first movie, just getting to spend more time in that world is always a treat. So if, if they're on TV, I'll find myself watching them to conclusion just because... I, I just love this world so much. Yeah, I feel the same way. I I, I like the swings they took. I, I think probably, I, I mean, I heard Zemeckis say once they were going to make it either way. So it was either they were going to make it or someone else was going to make it. And I'm glad they made it. But that first film it, in its construction is so perfect. It probably shouldn't have had a sequel. Like it's just, you you can't, I don't think anyone could make a sequel that's better or even as good it's just it, it's like it's like telling a perfect joke or something like you know everything connects to everything else and then at the end they got this great gag where they go to the future but you don't see it i mean it's just like such a perfect movie uh and i you know my hat's off to them for trying and i i look i loved it going back into that world and spending time with those characters but uh but I, man i'll i'll never make something that great but if i did i hope i stop you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, you hope you can just kind of, you know, put the brakes on when you need to, because the end of the first movie, which is another fun fact that I'm sure you're already aware of, is that in the theatrical release version that Topher got to see when he was a kid, it did not have like the 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 DeLorean takes off and goes into the future where we're going. We don't need roads. And they, they shoot out. It was just everyone like laughed in the audience. And then it went into the credits. And then when it came out on VHS, it said to be continued. They added the to be yeah. continued, which was so exciting for me. The first time I saw it, it was like, oh, my God, this is we get more of this. But it's such a perfect way to end. Like you said, if you don't have the the sequels, if you just had that movie, it just lets us all use our imagination. So I think I know the answer to this question as I'm asking it. But is there any way that you could ever reboot or remake Back to the Future? Or is it just one of those movies that we leave from 1985 in the Smithsonian for all time, it cannot be touched. Uh, well, I would totally say don't touch it, but um, I think Zemeckis got the rights by, by doing the second two. He The reason we haven't seen four, five, six, and seven is because Zemeckis and Bob Gale can control whether that happens or not. And then it's probably up to their kids when they go. Man, it's so funny. I, the, the way you're talking about just the sequels to the first one mm -hmm. is kind of a metaphor for how Hollywood is with IP or intellectual property, which is that you, people just want to see the car. Like they just, you know, <laughs> anything that can look, and this is coming from someone who just did an episode of that 90s show on Netflix, <laughs> you know, like everyone <laughs> wants to uh, be a part of something or, 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 uh, you know, be, you know, the star Wars movies keep rebooting. There's like a, everyone wants to go back in the millennium Falcon or everyone wants to, uh, I get it. I want to go back, but um, I think what you really want to do is see the original movie again. Like, you know what I mean? Like truly you should go back and watch that, that first star Wars trilogy or whatever. 
But what I like doing sometimes is just watching the trailer for a yes. sequel. Like what I would love to do, if I could control what my kids watch, which I won't be able to do, I would say like, um, you know, watch uh, Spider-Man 1 and 2 and, and watch the the trailer for <laughs> Spider-Man 3 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just, uh, you know, like like because the trailer is the the real dream of what it could be. And then it's very hard slash maybe impossible when something's so good to uh, trying to think of something that would be a great like. I remember watching Iron Man one and being like, this is like a perfect movie mm-hmm. and watching the trailer for Iron Man two and being like, Oh, here we go. And I, you know, Oh no, I'll tell you the best one ever was crystal skull. That's I a was good one. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I still go back and watch that trailer from the late two thousands as the great trailer moment. Of I my love life. that I get to geek out about trailers with you for a sec here too, because and it does pertain to the Back to the Future conversation. Because oh, yeah, you're future, talking about teasers right now. I mean, it, it, two and three were, were filmed back to back. And like Topher said, maybe it could have been one movie. It could have been split into two. But seeing that trailer was, first of all, it was it was a bold step forward in movie it's making. The first, the first movie has the greatest teaser of all time. It wasn't even in the film where he's just, just walking up to the. Yeah. Okay. But the second one, when he goes, it's like they're showing shots of the first one. Oh, my God, it's so great. And then he goes, are we back? we're back like i mean you just want to be part of something where gosh you're in a trailer like that it's just I, oh my god and the posters remember the poster said uh it's about time <laughs> what a great yes because it had been such a long time they took a real break in between the two also it's like the same day but marty's like you know six years older <laughs> yeah it's it, it yeah it's it's so it's just so funny to look back on that and like look at the excitement of that because i still today like if i'm on the road and i'm bored i'm more often than not after the shows i'll put on like the star wars trailers and just watch those because it, it reminds me how excited i was to see which ones are you talking about because the force awakens has some of the greatest trailers ever made the force awakens trailer made me literally cry when i was at um whatever this at that star Wars celebration in 2015 hey, dude, in we have arena. in the premiere next week we go to disneyland but mm-hmm. in it we see i mean there's like a deep cut trailer nerd joke in the but we like my brother reveals the millennium falcon to me and it, by the way, it was filming there. It was like, it's amazing production value. Like it's very hard to, even though we're at ABC, it was very hard to get into the park and you get Lucasfilm to sign off on right, it. Right. Marvel stuff. We had Marvel to sign off on, but like, um, he reveals it to me and I go, Chewy, we're home. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know who's going to get this, but to me, that moment when, uh, Harrison Ford said that, Th- those trailers are amazing. I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to go best trailers. Dude, let's just abandon the Back to the Future thing. And I'm going to do best trailers of all time. This is why we're here. I want to do it with you. You go first. They're like literally your favorite five the trailers. best trailer. And I'm not saying this just because you're the guest and mm-hmm. you have some history with a certain edit of this film. I still go back to the first teaser trailer and I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll put you in, in the room where I was, Topher. I was Are you a watching The Siege? I was a freshman. I bought a ticket to the siege just to watch the Phantom Menace trailer. After I saw this on my roommate's computer at the time, there yeah. was some some pirated the version of, of the of internet, it. right? Yeah. And because I was like, I was like out drinking with my buddies in another room. My roommate comes to get me. He knows what a big Star Wars nerd I am by this time. And he's like, dude, you got to come check this out. And I'm looking at his computer screen on his laptop and it's not full screen. We don't know how to do that yet. It's just a tiny little bar, but he plays it. And I see the Lucasfilm logo and I hear cheers. And I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, no. And then, you know, every myth has a every journey has a first step. And then you hear the Darth Vader breath. And I'm like, good God. And then I rush out and I buy a ticket to meet Joe Black is the movie I went to go see. <laughs> I, and saw, I saw the siege and didn't even stay to watch the siege. <laughs> I took off as su- I did not meet Joe Black that night. I, I bought a ticket. I did not meet I remember him. everyone. This was like in Westwood. When I went to see it. Everyone's waving their lightsabers. And then the Lucasfilm thing is up and everyone gets dead silent, like zero cheers. Like people are just like trying to ingest it. It's great. OK, yeah, so that's, that's great. That's one. Keep going. What else? All right. This one is a movie that maybe most people don't remember, but I'm telling you, the trailer was great thanks to legendary rock band The Who. Um, There's a movie starring John Leguizamo called Summer of Sam. And the movie itself, go watch the Summer of Sam trailer. It's great. The movie, the movie trailer is one of the best trailers. I got to go check out that trailer. Yeah. Great call, man. That's a real. 
That's a deep cut. Yeah. So I went I went easy front of the shelf and then I went back it, it, to the back to the stock room. What is a okay, good trailer? Okay, let me give it a shot. Uh, front shelf, I'm going to put all Spielberg teasers. So like <laughs> he does he always does he's the only one who has balls to do like zero footage from the movie. So mm-hmm. it's like Jaws is great where they're we're swimming around and that voice is talking to you. Yeah. ET and and uh uh, Close Encounters have one, but they're a little generic. Uh, Jurassic Park has an amazing one. When this guy's just going deep, deep into a mine, and he finds the bug in amber, and he's looking at it, and it goes all the way into the bug's eye. Into I mean, it's like incredible. And Hook actually has a cool one too. Um, so I love all those ones because they just had the balls not to show any of the actual footage from the movie. <laughs> Ghostbusters Two has okay. a uh, time like clearly. They'd given them stock in the film or something, you know, know, because like they have a scene that could only really be for the trailer, but it's in the movie where he goes, you know, oh man, I forget what the setup is, but it's Bill Murray going, um, you know, the one, the only, like, you know, Ghostbusters and Dan Aykroyd goes back and you're like, well, I don't know why you'd have that in a movie, but it goes into the (laughs) Ghostbusters theme and it's unbelievable. Ghostbusters 2, by the way, sort of the same, you know, DNA as Back to the Future 2 and 3, where I really like that movie. There's a lot to take out. I know what you're saying. It's like a kind of a retread, but also really great. And they have the same cast. All right. So my back shelf one, (laughs) I don't know how back shelf this is, but um, Stranger Things season two. So Stranger Things was a big hit. Mm -hmm. And then the season two one has a teaser cut to thriller it's so well thought out and and it's about halloween but it's thriller and it's the 80s and they're the ghostbusters it's like if you want to get hyped go oh you know what i'll tell you the best trailer i've probably ever seen was this marvel celebrate the movies trailer that came out in the middle of the pandemic do you remember this the marvel celebrate the movies i was like it wasn't about one movie it was like here are all the movies coming out the next year or something oh yeah and they had someone you know, it's by the way, same composer as uh, Back to the Future. Alan, Alan Silvestri, Silvestri, yeah. And they 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 did like some hyped up version of it. And they're just showing film after film. And I was like, I got to like close my computer. Like I just got way too hyped. Like <laughs> it's so good. Especially during the pandemic. Like I watched so many trailers and I got hyped. And I'm like, well, I'm still just being a dog here, <laughs> right. you know. But it's I'm glad you actually brought up Sylvester, too, because you can't really talk about Back to the Future without getting into how great that musical score is. I mean, I think it's probably the best. I put it up there with the best of John Williams, and I put John Williams as the greatest movie composer of all time. So the the adventure, you know, you're right. There's really not a lot going on in Back to the Future. That's what makes the score so amazing that it's, you know, it kind of takes place in a couple different rooms in this town square. It's not like uh, the desert, you know, or, or some, you know, the ocean or something. But we're racing, and and that makes it the music that kicks in when he's driving the car, when he's driving the DeLorean, makes it feel like we're going even faster than we already oh, yeah. are. And the 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 great scene that is particularly touching to my Van Halen loving heart is the Darth Vader scene where he puts the tape that says Edward Van Halen. They had to write Edward because Van Halen the band didn't sign off on it. It was just Eddie, so they had to write Edward, and that actually is. Eddie Van Halen playing guitar in That's that scene. It's it's not a Van Halen song. It's an outtake because he was doing the soundtrack for The Wildlife. And so it's an outtake that didn't make it on that soundtrack. Oh, is that true? It wasn't for Back to the Future. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'll tell you, the thing, I watched the deleted scenes when they all came out in that, I think it was like somewhere around 2000, they put them all out and it was mm-hmm. incredible. Like I'd never seen them. Was he chloroforms him at the end and they cut that part. <laughs> That's why, because you go, I was always like, how did he get out of that room? And he, he chloroforms him. It wasn't very cinematic or great to watch and a little bit no. questionable. And that's why George starts off the next scene saying, I slept late. I, yeah, he I, goes slept like, late. I, I slept late anyway. And he's like, all right, get your stuff together. Yeah. Darth Vader said he was going to come down from Planet Vulcan and melt my brain. Um, just uh, just another day in 1955. Well, I, I do want to get into some home economics talk, too, because this is the show. I, I know it's been a passion project, like you already talked about getting to produce it now and getting to have a say in the cast. I mean, what did I guess what do you do with this season that you're excited about that maybe you didn't get a chance to do with the previous episodes? You know, it's we have some cool plot stuff. We have a flashback episode. So we did a little time travel. We go to <laughs> It's funny, it takes place in 2009, which I was like, wasn't that like two weeks ago? 
but uh <laughs> you know jimmy who's my younger brother on it is um you know just turned 30 and so 2009 for him was like high school and uh it's oh. great to when you start to like everyone's living like we're wearing live strong bracelets and you yeah. know like, someone's got like a team edward shirt on and like it's just <laughs> it was interesting to do a time period thing about that um it's about how we all met and all that stuff but um there's stuff like that. We find out we have a new sibling, which is, you know, the whole show is about us as siblings and in a really funny, cool way, we find out we have another sibling, which is big for us. But truly, the plot isn't what you get excited about as you go uh, of the cast. I'm the one who's been on a, a show before. I'm, yeah. I'm the oldest too. But like what happens is you get into season three and four, which is when uh, 70s shows started working, when a lot of sitcoms started to kind of click in, is you there's like an idea of what the show can be and you're casting to that and the writers are writing to it. Then you all spend a lot of time together and the writing gets better for the characters and the actors get better to the writing and the editing gets tighter and just everyone starts to know what it, the, it is. And uh, actually it's just fantastic. It's just better. I don't know how to just, like, I wouldn't, if someone said walk me through 70 show seasons, I wouldn't be like, well, this season, this plot thing happened. That's what made it better. It's just that everyone gets better and more of like a tighter team unit. And it's great to be on something long enough to watch that happen because it just gets so... It, what people remember of sitcoms, I think, is the middle of their run. Like you can then yeah. apply it to the first... Like, I mean, I remember loving Friends, the first season it started. But really what I loved was the middle of Friends. Then you kind of, when you're watching reruns, you apply it to the, the beginning. It's that's an interesting point is because I'm rewatching Cheers right now um, because it's Cheers and it's and it's yeah. great. And the first season is is so great, but it's also clearly sort of the setup for all of the greatness that is to come. And then by the end of a show's run, it's sort of like, you know, you don't want to make the goodbye too long. And so it really is the the middle, the the meat in the sandwich that is the best stuff in a sitcom. You yeah, know? it's funny. It's kind of like this with these superhero movies where the first one you have to learn how the person got their powers and yeah. what's the situation. <laughs> and the second one's the one where you're like, well, we can just like rock and roll now. Like you don't have to like set a lot of stuff up. You can just have fun, you know, front to back. Um, and I think that's what it feels like here. Just each episode. I don't know. I just, you know, I obviously I love editing so much and getting things as tight as possible. And it just feels so good. I just, I love the cast so much and i love doing the job but i also love watching it too i guess i'm getting high on my own supply yeah but i mean you, you know you look at your career and and you go all the way back to that 70s show and it feels like yesterday probably to to you and me but it, it was a minute ago and oh yeah it's the worst that. when young people come to me and they're like man i grew up my mom used to if i finished my homework my mom used to let me watch it i'm like what aren't i your age what what's the what's can you distill it down to like one or two you know lessons because you're still you're great on the show but you're still you're a young actor and you're you're finding your way is lessons is, for actors you're saying yeah that, that you now apply as both an actor and a producer on home economics well i you know it's no secret that probably anyone who's listening to your show knows that i absolutely love editing and think just worship great editors and uh what that meant to me when I was younger was I, I didn't realize we're doing a four camera. They do edit four camera shows, but a lot of the editing, um, like I did a play a couple of years ago and I'd never been on stage before. And I realized, Oh, you're kind of doing post, uh, <laughs> while you're rehearsing it, like before you, you know what I mean? Cause you got to right. cut, what you got to cut, mm -hmm. you got to tighten certain things. And then I thought, Oh, this is a little bit what 70s show is like. Cause you're live in front of an audience. What you see you know, when the episode is done is pretty similar to what you did that one night you performed for the audience. And then as I've just gotten more into stuff that's more filmic and obviously home economics is a one camera show. It's more like a film. I've just become more and more obsessed with post and the post process and how, how the audience uh, views certain cuts and certain rhythms as being because it's invisible. Editing is invisible to people. They don't know what it is. I actually, it's funny. I'm, you're right. I did a, I've done a couple cuts of films that this is for me to learn how to edit. I basically gave bad notes on my first <laughs> film that I produced and was like, I, I bought an Avid and just wanted to learn how to like what I did wrong basically. But what I became obsessed with is, I mean, people know I talk about it a lot on a show like this. It's fine for me to talk about it. Um, and I should say to any directors I'm working with in the future, I don't want to edit things I'm in. But uh, 
but I do have such a respect for it. But it's funny when it's when it's really good, you don't know that it's happening. It's a very invisible art form. So I, the lesson for me was to understand that and respect it and, and understand how it, the thing moves, you know, under the surface. And it probably speaks to your love of trailers too, is because that's taking so much footage and being able to edit it and condense it and just make it, it show us the most exciting parts. Like for example, well, that's actually, that's all it ever is, is it's, a, it's curating. Yeah. It's yeah. a museum of, you spent all this time amassing all this stuff and then it's curating just the best of, I mean, I'm always, uh, our, our episodes are always a little short. There's like, like, uh, you know, <laughs> ABC should be stoked. There's always like time for one more ad during our episodes. <laughs> but, um, but I think editing, uh, yeah, done best is like, yeah, the least amount of, uh, least amount of stuff. And, and just think about that. Everybody listening, everybody watching right now. Um, think about that fact that Topher brought up earlier, talking about the original Back to the Future, how it took an editor to convince Robert Zemeckis to leave the Johnny B. Good scene at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. That movie, here's how great the movie is. It's still a great movie without that scene, but it makes it that much better. Well, the lesson there is that the, the best thing about editing is I, I, I love acting, but and acting is a team sport, uh, but editing is really a team sport because no, you you kind of can't do it without feedback of others and you lose your way. Um, so it's very, very valuable who you edit it with. Um, that is a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good life lesson there, kids. Be careful who you edit with. Um, it, Topher, it's been a pleasure. I could literally talk to you about trailers all day. I would also I know, say, man, we just got to do this, you know, uh, about have no subject matter and just go <laughs> just trailer park with Mark and Topher time right. cop. That's another good one. The original time cop. Ooh, I don't trailer. know if I've seen that trailer. Cause it takes, it's like old timey universal. And then, um, and then all of a sudden, like Van Damme walks through the the portal thing, and he confronts his old partner. Oh, dude! Okay, so you got to watch Summer of Sam, and you got to watch Sam. Time Cop, the first Time Cop trailer. Time Cop. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So People that's are, your my wife's gonna be like, "What are you watching?" Like, <laughs> you're like, "Honey, I had a visit with myself on his podcast, and he told and he me told, that I, had I to saw watch me this. from the future, right? He told me." <laughs> To watch Time Cop. Right, uh, to speaking of great podcast, uh, everybody out there, y'all should uh, also check out the Minor Adventures of Topher Grace, uh, hosted, of course, by Topher Grace. He gets into a lot of fun stuff with a lot of his celebrity pals and obviously Home Economics back for another season. Check out all of his wonderful library of movies and TV shows. It was hey, thank a you pleasure so much for having me, man. I really having you fun. here. Um, this was really, really fun. Your your favorite Back to the Future quote can, uh, can take us out. Uh, listen, Doc, are you telling me and you built a time machine out of a DeLorean. God, what a pleasure talking to a guy. I mean, you think you know a lot about Back to the Future. I know a lot about it, but Topher Grace, uh, a certified expert in obviously the worlds of acting and editing, but also Back to the Future knowledge. That guy is second to none. So thanks again to Topher. Make sure y'all check out the new season of Home Economics where he is both an executive producer and a star. Um, Brian Perez, if I can have him enter the chat just very quickly, Brian, I just have a question for you. Um, and again, there's no judgment here. What is your favorite Back to the Future movie of the three? Hey, Mark. Thanks for asking. Um, I know we had this debate in Vegas one day in yes, the, pool, we did. the Lazy River, and I brought up that there's a possibility that the second one might be a little better than the first, and you almost had me thrown out of the pool. I didn't react well. Um, did our conversation with Topher just now sway you at all, or do you stand by? Are you saying that it is better? You're saying that there's just a chance. I'm saying I grew up with the second one with the hoverboards, the future, like the second one was okay. just more fun to me, but growing up and watch rewatching the first one again, like Topher said, it's a perfect movie. The lines go like the line from the beginning, uh, traces to the end. It's so it's just well-written, well-edited, well-directed, everything's so perfect about the first one. But the second one is really fun as well. All right, I'll tell you what. Next time we're in Vegas together, we'll have another conversation about this in the Lazy River. But this time, we're going to bring peanut brittle with us into the river and enjoy some of George McFly's favorite treat. Perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, people have their own opinions here. And um, and there is, there's a lot of qualities to Back to the Future 2. And there's a lot to Back to the Future 3, including um, a cameo by ZZ Top, no less. Fun fact, ZZ Top, during a camera break, 
they actually played like a two-hour set just for the crew that was around. So great band out of Texas there, and they kind of fit with the beards in the Old West. So uh, thank you to Brian for popping in. Thanks to Topher Grace, our very special guest today. Uh, what a treat it was to get to talk to him about Back to the Future and a whole lot of other stuff. We don't have a mailbag today. We're short on time. You can email us anytime, rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. You have some movies, some guests that you want us to have on the future. Just let us know right there, and we might read one of yours on the air whatever you like to do with podcasts subscribe rate review all that good stuff get us to the top of whatever platform you prefer and next week's episode it's another trilogy we're going from back to the future to quack quack the mighty ducks the entire trilogy d1 d2 and d3 it was really heavily marketed as d2 thanks to terminator 2 and then i think they just stuck with it so we're gonna have the mighty ducks trilogy next week right here on rotten tomatoes is wrong thank you so much this was a a very um seminal day in the history of the podcast and uh, it was great having topher on i'm bummed jacqueline missed it but i'm glad that now we get that screenshot of just me and me together again at last uh thanks for tuning in to rotten tomatoes is wrong for topher grace for brian perez for producing lucy jacqueline coley and the whole gang here at rotten tomatoes i am mark ellis saying that if you didn't enjoy this version of the podcast your kids are gonna love it you know how to book flights and hotels All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.